You can run, but you cannot hide regulations in short-term rentals. It's a real thing. No matter how much you don't want it to happen, it's going to happen. And it's probably something that you're going to need to prepare for. And that's what we're talking to Lucas Krause today about on the Fearless Investor Podcast. If you are serious about building your short-term rental business to $10,000, $20,000, maybe even $30,000 a month or more, you have come to the right place. My name is Kyle Stanley, and this is the Fearless Investor Podcast, where we teach you all things short-term rentals, the best guests, the best tools, the best strategies. There are so many investing paths out there. It can be seriously overwhelming to start out as a new investor, but take it from me, short-term rentals is the best and the quickest way to build your cash flow. So buckle up, listen in, and get ready to conquer the world of short-term rentals. Here we go. Hey, I need to take a really quick break from this podcast. And if you are a loyal listener of the Fearless Investor Podcast, you're probably either a business owner or looking to start a business. And for that reason, you need to make sure you're doing things correctly down to the T from forming the correct LLC to bookkeeping to understanding the tax code and more. It's all really the boring stuff, but it can make or break your business. In fact, if you aren't doing it correctly, you could be like 98% of other business professionals in the U.S. and overpay on taxes. Don't do that, guys. Be the 2%, and that's why I rely on Easier Accounting, and so should you. Easier Accounting is a team of tax professionals that will set up your LLC, keep your books, file your taxes, and they can even repair your credit. And just so you know, I myself use Easier Accounting, and this came after using a similar company that, really being blunt here, completely ripped me off. So when I started using Easier Accounting, I came in a little bit skeptical, but as I started talking to them, I could really tell they had my best interests at heart. And you know me, if I'm not a professional, I'm not going to do it myself. I'm going to outsource that stuff. And I hope you will do the same and use that same mindset to hire professionals to help you form and manage your business. Easier Accounting is absolutely the way to go. Go check them out at fearlesskyle.com forward slash easier accounting. Hey, Fearless community, before we get the show started, I want to let you know that you now have the chance to get direct access to me in order to grow and strengthen your short-term rental business. How? The Six Figure Formula Membership. I'm the only one in this space offering this value-packed membership for a stupid, stupid low price of $49 per month, and you get access to me, my podcast guests, you get to be a part of our amazing private community. You get our full A to Z business in a box STR kickstart course. And maybe most exciting, especially for me, you get exclusive discounts that we worked for months to get that no one else is getting out there. Price Labs, AirDNA, NoiseAware, HostAway, and so many more at your fingertips. So become a part of this 6FF movement. Get started today for just $49 a month at fearlesskyle.com forward slash 6FF. Hey, everyone. Welcome into the Fearless Investor Podcast. You're listening to me, Kyle Stanley, and we have Lucas Krause with Skyrun on the podcast today. Really great conversation here, especially, you know, I'm in California and we're always wondering when are regulations going to trickle down into our market, which is central California Lots of regulations in Northern California, lots of regulations in Southern California, but there's always the question of when is that going to actually get absorbed into Central California? And so for that reason, this idea of regulations and talking about how we're getting really targeted as a short-term rental industry as being a problem in affordable housing is just really not the the truth um, when you actually look at the numbers. And But at the same time, no matter what the truth is or not, 
the reality is that this is going to be something that we all have to deal with. So rather than complain about it, why don't we start to say, well, what can we do to get out in front of it? And that's exactly what we had as a discussion here with Lucas, who's got a really vast background in a lot of different businesses, a lot of different real estate. And this guy has his stuff together now working with Skyrun, which we'll talk a little bit more about as well. So without further ado, let's get to it right now with Lucas Krauss on the Fearless Investor Podcast. Hey, everyone, welcome into the Fearless Investor Podcast. We've got Lucas Kraus here today. And uh, Lucas, I'm excited about this conversation we're going to have. And the timing could not be better as uh, we are getting impacted in California with some things that uh, are going to be a, a fun, fun thing to talk about with you today. And Lucas, before we get started, just want to thank you for being on here, brother. Oh, thanks. Excited to participate. Awesome. Well, hey, uh, usually we ask what's your craziest short-term rental story, but you're very much on the uh, you know admin side of the company Skyrun that you're working with, and so I want to instead because you've got a, a big background in investment. What's like the the best investment that you've had in your investing career? I'll have to say it was my first home um, that mm. really started everything off on such a positive trajectory. Uh, I you know my mid twenties, it was a very modest condo in downtown Denver. Uh, it was a nice. old building. Uh, but, you know, I bought it intentionally to be a rental in the long run after I moved out and owned it for probably about seven years afterwards and then sold it. And, you know, I say great fortune because it was a great return. And it's the reason I you know could afford to, to buy a house in Park City, Utah, turned it into the down payment for that. I was going to say, I mean, Denver, man, like back in the day was one of the most affordable places to live. And then suddenly overnight became one of the most unaffordable places. So if you bought at the low and sold at the high, then, <laughs> then you did pretty well. Yes. Yes. No, good fortune. I like to say I'm smart, but you know, sometimes it helps me very lucky. <laughs> uh, I'd rather be lucky than good. That's, yep. that's for sure. All right, Lucas, you've got a very interesting path and I really want people to hear this today. And, um, a lot of commonalities, honestly, with my path as well, that I think we're going to have some fun talking about. So, um, just bring people back. What what were you doing? Take us back to you know right out of right out of school, Lucas, and you know where he was at, what struggles you went through, and then what brought you into the short term rental world. Um, if you can give us that windy path, sure. I'm trying not to put everyone to sleep with my boring <laughs> background, but yeah, I graduated after September 11th, so everyone knows pretty down economy. After I graduated from Indiana University, uh, worked for AT and T, and it was a massive company, and you. You could do great work there and no one noticed, and you could do terrible work and no one noticed. And I knew that probably wasn't the environment for me. And I mm. spent about two years there. But uh, one of the things I was doing, I had this dream of playing professional baseball. And so yeah. during that time, I was reinventing myself as a pitcher and I didn't really play in college. And so I ended up, uh, you know, lining up a workout with the New York Mets. And after two years of really grinding, I got signed by the Mets. So I took a little career detour. Not an illustrious career, got injured pretty quick. And it's a much boring story I could bore the rest of the, you know, the viewers with. But when I re-entered the workforce, hey, I baseball got- is never boring, brother. Not <laughs> for me. <laughs> I re-entered the workforce uh, and, and worked with a capital group that owned Quiznos. And that's the first time I got in franchising and just fell mm. in love with supporting individuals who had that entrepreneurial spirit and wanted to start their own business and were looking for a vehicle to do that. And kind of wore every hat there, uh, led an onboarding process. I uh, led a team, you know, led a team for turnaround for underperforming markets and restaurants, led uh, operations for the coach and teach side for the East half of the country and ultimately ran the international brand. Did that for about six years and got the itch to start my own business and uh, did that. And uh, I had a really great experience, but I will tell you that made me such a better leader and supporter of those who were starting businesses because mm. 
you can coach and read every textbook, right? And, and know what to do. But unless you've lived it, you don't really appreciate the financial, not only the financial stakes, but the emotional stakes oh, when man. it's your money and it comes out of your account. Yep. So did that for a few years and then got into this whole world of real estate in like 2011 uh, for a group called Real Property Management. And it was kind of a turnaround situation. They were managing a few thousand homes. And uh, we kind of had to retool the organization to really build it for scale. And nice. you know, after kind of the, the housing crisis or kind of the uh, financial crisis, everyone was looking to rent out the homes they couldn't sell. And so it was the right time, right place. And we really did tap into that opportunity and built uh, the largest single family property manager in the country, managing over 65,000 homes. So that, that's not, that's not a small feat, man. That's no, that's, it was, and, uh, it was a wild really ride. Quick, yeah. And really quick before, before you even transition into how you got into short-term rentals, I'm just curious. So what did you study in college? I did undergrad. It was in marketing. I started up, okay. start off in uh, finance or in physical therapy and realized I didn't like science classes. Yeah. <laughs> so got into the marketing and I really had no marketing jobs uh, ever since I graduated. And, and you could say, you know, the transition into business is, is kind of a, a, a vertical or not a vertical, a, a parallel move from marketing, but still like no, no business background. So my curious, my, my next question, like, you went from AT&T to trying to get back into being a professional baseball player and then helping, you, you said one of the key things that you really liked about being with Quiznos was helping entrepreneurs succeed. So was there any moment in that where you were like, well, I haven't even been an entrepreneur yet. How am I helping these people? Yeah, the imposter syndrome. Yeah, yeah, um, for sure. I think fortunately it was just, you know, studying. I did get my MBA during that window and cool. I took okay. so much more out of that experience because I was actually able to practically apply it where undergrad you're studying for a test and you don't actually get to use it. Sure. Yep. Um, but no, I, I do think there was a, a lot of learning. I mean, to me, you can learn from everyone, every situation. And right. yeah, that was a, an organization that had a lot of talent and resources. And I did a lot of rotational internships in my college experience and had a good basis. Um, I think I was, I did a good job and I, I cared and was committed, but you know, after doing it myself and really going through it, uh, I'm far better equipped to help that small business owner than I was at that initial time in the business. Yeah, no, very cool. And then you started your own business. What was that? Uh, so that was uh, in, in the tax credit space. So we help, uh, we're kind of advisory for investments in whether it be renewable energy tax, uh, ta tax credits that come from that historic rehabs, uh, film credits, you name it. So it's really more of an kind of advisory service and that company's still around. Uh, team uh, does a really good job of managing that. Okay, so, it, and, and you still are owner in it? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's awesome, okay. So, well, that's, that's super unique because you start a business, it sounds like it's gone well enough to be able to still be around today, but then you kind of make this transition into real estate with a major real estate property management company. A lot of people might wonder like, well, why not just stick with the business that you created? So what, what was that choice that you made to go from, hey, I'm a successful entrepreneur, have my own business, to now I want to go work for someone else? I think the market potential and really mm. what it was, it's a very niche industry and small. So there wasn't that potential. And the value I was able to add was probably the highest and best use of time. Mm. And so I had the itch to do something and play on a bigger stage. And you know, I looked at the landscape in the, in the property management and we had a chance to change an industry. Uh, and really make our imprint on it. And that's kind of sexy. Uh, and that's a, that's a draw. And so that was kind of what the leap was. And so you're right. Um, you do lose the freedom of, you know, working for someone, but you know, if you structure it correctly and hired gun, you, you can do some things. Uh, and so I do, 
miss elements of complete autonomy and freedom of your own business, right. but it does help where you're sharing some of the, you know, some of the risk uh, when you're, you're working for yeah. someone else. Well, you, and you were attracted to a vision, right? Like that's, that's pretty cool. What, what was the, the, you said, you know, being able to impact an industry, what was the main thing that you were attracted to or ended up doing to help impact the industry? Yeah. So early to, you know, I'd say like, you know, 2008 to 2010 window, you know, the property management space was really growing because of all the individuals not able to sell their homes. So those, all those REOs. Right, and right. And so people are looking for professional property managers and there's very low, you know, low barriers to entry. Mm. And the standard was very unacceptable for that, those investors in general. Now that I'm not saying there weren't really strong property managers, but they were more the outliers. And so, you know, it was kind of our mission to, to not only grow, but make an imprint. We were very involved in NARPM, which is the National Association of Residential Property Managers. We helped build the certification program, did a lot of education and really tried to help uh, and be active even from the advocacy side of how do we raise the standards? Uh, and so that those individuals who, you know, it could be their biggest investment in their home, have peace of mind that there's someone that reputable right. taking care of that and managing it. Now, did, did we completely, you know, change that and eradicate any of the underperformers? No, but uh, I do think we made a big imprint on that space. And just by growing and creating a larger space of competitors that are more sophisticated really did help raise that standard. And I think it's a better product today because of that. That's awesome, man. All right. So what happened next to get you into short-term rentals? Yeah, short-term rentals. So we got the, you know, we got that business uh, sold, uh, you know, the co one of the co-founders, uh, you know, had a tiny bit of a health scare and was kind of motivated to to sell the business off, you know, based on that. And, you know, it was one of those where peeking head up and really finding that interesting challenge. And the short term space kind of has a lot of the hallmarks that I saw in the long term, you know, fragmented, huge opportunity, a lot of, you know, investment in technology and, a, a you know, a chance for us to, again, hopefully raise the standards because, Similarly, you know, people have made these investments in these homes and there are a lot of quality managers out there, but there's also, you know, individuals who aren't as effective at this and uh -huh. want to make sure that we're taking care of it. And we're also, you know, managing as we'll get into the regulatory environment, we're not being unreasonably regulated because of maybe a few bad, I say bad actors and not to be dramatic, but individuals who might not be managing them correctly. Yeah. And I want to sit there for a second, right? Because there's two things that I think of when I hear about bad managers. One is the person who just, Hey, I just want to try this out. And they put their place on Airbnb and they don't know how to put up photos. They don't know how to talk to guests. They don't know how to pre-screen guests. And before you know it, like every weekend you're getting calls from the neighbors saying there's a party every single weekend, which of course puts a bad name on it. And by the mm -hmm. way, I was one of those people in the beginning. I actually got a of call course. from a neighbor saying, Hey, whoever's managing your property sucks. You should fire them. And I said, well, that's going to be difficult because that's me. <laughs> so I knew at that point, like, man, I'm really hurting a neighborhood. I need to figure out some things. So that kicked me into gear. But then the second thing is, you know, like one of the places that we manage is Bass Lake, California. And a lot of these management companies in that area don't even use OTAs. They don't use Airbnb. They don't use VRBO. They just rely on their own direct booking website, which is archaic. And all of these owners that put their trust in these companies are like, Hey, I can't even get anyone on the phone. And I don't even know if my property is getting booked. And, but, but they're, they're forced to use these people because there's no one else in the area. So, you know, just, I know I kind of 
vomited some information there, but that's what like what I think of when I hear bad managers. What what are some other things for you to add to that or or are we on the same page on that? Oh, I think we're on the same page. I think there's a few, right? I mean, some individuals are just shooting themselves in the foot because they're not taking advantage of the tools and resources that are available. So right. they're not generating the income on those homes that are this potential, like rep leveraging the OTAs or optimizing on those channels yeah, uh, and really leveraging that. And some of the things when it comes to pricing, it's getting more and more sophisticated. 100%. And given all of the investment in the industry, there are a lot of great viable options, which had brought the price down. So that's accessible to more people. And so if you're not investing, you know, in, you know, pricing tools and doing that, you're going to get left on the side of the road there because more and more people are accessing that and doing that regularly. And then you hit kind of this. So I think there's the operational and just maybe opportunity cost when I say, mm -hmm. you know, not a you know, bad performer. The other is, like you said, it's, it's, it's not managing it effectively, not understanding that you, you know, you're a party house because you have a short length of stay or you let something book a couple of days out, you know, a couple of days out. And I don't think it's in, intentional. I think individuals are going through the growing pains of learning. But then the other situation is sometimes people get out over them, over their skis and grow faster than they can. Mm. And they're not able to staff or support yeah. and provide really that great experience they were initially because they had that attention to detail. And now they're under understaffed. And guess what happens? They're providing, uh, you know, less than stellar experiences for their guests and not delivering for their homeowners because they're, you know, the ratings are going down on the property and it's not having the prominence that should on the OTAs. So, you know, my, my next question to that is with Skyrun, you, you guys are managing what about, you said 1200 properties. Yeah. Almost 1200 properties today. So that's a lot of properties. Well, I'm at 55 and I think to myself like, Hey, you know, just even going into another market, right. How many markets are you guys in? 35. Yeah. So going to another market for me, I'm, I look at that and it's like, Hey, that that's like a six month process of, getting the relationships, getting the handymen, getting the cleaners and really finding reliable boots on the ground to keep the quality up. And for that reason, that's been a big reason why I, I've kind of struggled to think about moving into new markets. So you talked a lot about quality. How is it that you guys at Skyrun have been able to keep quality high while going into so many different new markets? Yeah, I, I think you hit the key piece there. It, you know, we say it's low barriers to entry, but it's a it's a big lift to launch in a new market. Yep. You need to have local boots in the ground, be part of the community, vested in it, um, not only to support, but for just from a business development to add new homes and network with realtors to just be able to do that. So, you know, the key is the local ownership and local boots in the ground. This is not a business where you can centralize a ton and have, a, you know, this hub and spoke strategy. Yep. It, it just doesn't. And so where our focus is, you know, one of kind of our strategic pillars is build the, the best operators in the industry. Mm. And so we invest heavily on, you know, finding local operators who, will, you know, own the market and the operations and control that quality, but train them, give them tools. We have our own proprietary software and we're, you know, we augment that with other, some off the shelf elements, but we make material investment in the train and build a community. All of our, you know, location owners, are sharing information, best practices. We're, we provide feedback loops on guest reviews. And you guys, you, you've been around this, you know it. Like, it's a virtuous cycle. If you can get the guest service, guest, you know, service correct, piece correct, you get repeat bookings, you get people coming back, directing, you know, direct bookings from. And so that's one of the kind of our hallmarks is not only having great training and support, but it's making sure we get that guest experience right. 
you know, That's the good. system average with, you know, what we've had over 600,000 previous guests, our system average is just about 4.8 stars. Nice. And so, you know, you, you know, you've done it and how hard that is to do when you don't control exactly the inventory completely when you're third party managing. That crest experience is really, I feel like foundational to our success. Now, these operators that you're talking about, are they employees or it almost sounded like a franchise model? It is a franchise. Yes. Okay. Nice. Okay. So they buy in, they, and what is, what is a, you know, franchisee and, and, you know, I know that's not part of the, the conversation that we were necessarily talking about with regulations, but now you've got me curious just one on what Skyrun's business model looks like. Yeah. So, so like initial, you know, investment, or are you looking just what the ramp up period, what would be? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I, if I'm someone who says, Hey, I'm interested in, in operating in this area, you know, what exactly am I getting from you guys? Am I getting leads or am I only getting like the training on how to do the business? Oh yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like any, any franchise concept, whether it be a, you know, a restaurant you bought into, yeah. you get all of your, you know, your website, your marketing collateral and all of the support. And, and we have a, you know, it's, it's three phases of training, but you know, it's, it's short-term rental management 101. It's then on the job training, working in one of our locations, get, you know, that then you get, you know, 12 week revenue management training, 12 week business development training. Cool. And then you have access to all of collateral. So we have templates for everything for presentations and you have a dedicated onboarding special, someone who's operated, you know, these businesses at scale and done it and lived this one of our own former franchisees and an individual who would operate one of our locations as our trainers. And they're there kind of work, working with you weekly to get you ramped up. And so, you know, everyone that talks about kind of the franchise model, but here's kind of a simple way, you know, franchising, it, it's really to get you as quick to, as, uh, you know, viability as quick as possible and manage mm -hmm. out risk. And you do that in exchange for a royalty. And, you know, we hope that we save you a lot of mistakes because you have a proven model and right. support resource. And then, you know, if you do it on your own, you got to go through all the learning curve and build everything. Yeah. And so that's kind of our whole model is that training, cool. support, marketing collateral. And then on the last piece, as I mentioned, we have our own proprietary backend property management software uh, oh, that cool. has revenue management built into it. So oh, that's awesome. Uh, we really do try to provide a, a turnkey solution for those who are, are coming in the space. And the usual profile of someone who comes from our franchise is someone kind of leaving corporate America, maybe wants to start their own business, but they've always kind of worked for someone. And it's a nice way of having guide rails and support and gives them a, a much higher likelihood of success. That's awesome. Uh, especially because they usually don't come with experience in the short-term rental space. All right, listen up. If you are not using Price Labs, you are literally throwing money in the trash. Dynamic pricing is a must in our industry. If you don't know what that is, dynamic pricing is just a fancy term for supply and demand pricing. When demand is high, Price Labs will get you high price bookings. And when demand is low, it will fill up your calendar while the competition overprices themselves and leaves everything vacant. I was dumb in the beginning of my short-term rental journey. I thought I could do it all without Price Labs. So one day I just said, you know what? Enough is enough. I'm going to try this thing out. And immediately my income went up 15 to 20% on my listings. I really was kicking myself. I should have been using this from the beginning. So don't make the same mistake as me. Get started with your free 30-day trial at fearlesskyle.com forward slash price labs. Or even better, how about getting 25% off your first six months as a thank you for being a part of the STR six-figure formula membership? That's right. Go to fearlesskyle.com forward slash 6FF to become a member and claim that discount today. Very cool. Okay, so we know that you guys have a vast portfolio within the entire 35 markets, 1200 properties. What's, since we want to talk about regulations today, and I think this is going to be a really cool conversation to have, what's one market or 
one story from one market that you can say has been like, this is the, this is a, a struggle for us right now. And we're having to battle it, or maybe even a story of uh, a battle that happened and you guys were able to come out on top uh, and fight, you know, the city on the regulations, anything like that. Yeah. I, I feel like we're in the early stages of this our, as our industry as a whole. Uh, so yeah. it's the infancy of what regulations, and I do believe regulations should be in place. I, mm -hmm. I do think it should benefit all of us, but they should be thoughtfully done. And I don't think yeah. put in, uh, I'll say unnecessary and ill-conceived constraints on our space. So, you know, of our 35 plus locations, I mean, it's all but a couple are, are dealing with some form of it in one right. shape or form. Uh, I'll single out kind of, you know, in our, in Summit County, Colorado, we have, you know, a pretty large footprint, a number of locations. And so there's layers of regulations there in the town of Breckenridge. You know, they did put a hard cap, which was almost like half of what the available licenses were. Wow. And so, you know, that obviously impaired lead, you know, generating leads from home sales as people turn over or are trying to buy a home because you're going to maybe wait 10 years. 15 years before, if you put your name in for a license that you'd get it. The other was, you know, they imposed kind of a, a nuisance uh, component where you get kind of, you have to answer the phone live with, you know, 24 seven and have three, three strikes and kind of you're out. Mm. And so for us, I'd say the nuisance piece was not a big deal. We're kind of have round the clock support, maybe right. modified some things on how we approached it. I think the thing we were really cautious of, as you guys very much well know, our industry, there's a little bit of neighbors who are maybe look at the property and go, I'm jealous. You're making money on this. And so we have seen nuisance complaints that are not viable and they're just neighbors who are calling to complain because they want to try to get you to three site strikes. And so working with the local municipalities to help them, they've been reasonable around some of those components. But that hard cap is one where you have to look at your business development a little differently. Uh, how you're attacking it. Realtors are a very viable channel, but you know, working with individuals who maybe are managing it themselves and get tired of it become a much more viable channel because they already have the license. And so how do we make this more attractive to use third-party management? The way I, I look at it is, again, we have to play the hand we're dealt, but we've been very active and we're continue to be very active and help reshaping that environment. But you know, there are positives that come out, even though I, I don't think that's the right regulation and how it's restricted. Right. Restricting supply does increase, you know, the demand, right? Or that doesn't increase the demand, but it increases the value and the nightly rate. Absolutely. So there are positives. And so you have to make the most of it. But I'd say that's one of the, probably the more prevalent ones we work through. We're very active in advocating in other places and trying to shape it. But, you know, i Hopefully we will, you know, be able to influence it because Breck did raise their cap a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so we did see a little easing as the group has been, very, you know, the association has been very active and we're hopeful to, you know, to gain some more ground as people are realizing maybe these regulations haven't had the impact they thought they were. So the example that you use is actually kind of surprising to me because I think about a place like Denver that has a lot of regulations or like Atlanta, for example, that put a cap on, you know, you can only have two under your name per owner. And that kind of makes sense to me. It's Metro, right? There's a lot of opportunity for business for hotels. So that kind of, to me is like, okay, I, I can see like the hotels kind of lobbying against, whereas like Breckenridge, it's like, yeah, there's hotels, but also most of these homes are second homes that people own. And a lot of the economy in Breckenridge is driven by travel. So mm -hmm. 
do you have any insight on why a town like Breckenridge would be making such a vast or such a, uh, an intense move like that? Yeah, it's funny. I think it's very similar to what you're seeing in urban and your, your observation is correct. I do agree with right in, in urban populations, the different dynamic, but it's all about affordability. Mm. And especially in these resort areas, workforce housing is a big challenge. And, you know, there's a number of factors that have caused this. You know, for over a decade plus after the kind of the financial crisis, new construction fell off a cliff. We're over 3 million homes short of where we need to be. And so you have that. And then you throw this COVID piece, which allows people to work from home for you and I to do this interview virtually rather than being in the same room. Well, guess what that does? That allows people the mobility to live in some of these desirable places. So not only home prices were not, you know, already out of, you know, affordability reach for most people. Well, guess what we did? We threw kerosene on that fire by allowing people to migrate to these de desirable places. And so it is truly a, a trying to solve affordability for housing. And as you and I talked a little before this, it's trying to use like, it's like a surgeon trying to use a hammer to conduct yeah. surgery. It's the wrong tool in the wrong vehicle. Well, it's, 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 the the wrong, it's the wrong scapegoat. Yeah. Like, Very you know, so. I get for sure the, the new construction. That makes sense. Like, you know, it's, that's not just here in California. We've been talking about that for years. And I've, I've been aware that that's not just a California thing. That's across the nation. But it's funny to me how, like, you have all of these people out there saying, hey, affordability, who's to blame? And it's one thing and it's short-term rentals. When actually, when you do the numbers, and I was just talking about this because we're, we're dealing right now in California with this SB 584 bill, yep. which is going to increase taxes from 0% uh, on a state level for short-term rentals now 15%, which is literally going to destroy most business, which is great if you're staying in, right? Like our 15 properties that we might be able to hold on to might do, you know, one and a half to two X the, the income that they were before because the supply goes down. However, when you look at this and you see, okay, well, what's the reason behind it? To me, the very first thing, like you said, it was probably affordability. So let's look at the numbers. Well, in Fresno, California, where I live, there's 180,000 homes. Guess how many Airbnbs there are? 894. That's half of a percent of the available homes. In San Diego, there's 547,000. Guess how many Airbnbs? There's 10,000. That's only about one and a half percent. In LA, there's 1.5 million homes. There's only 12,000 Airbnbs. That's 0.7%. I just did all these numbers literally before we get on this podcast. So they're fresh in my mind. I'm, I'm not that smart. I just really just did these numbers. But that's not enough. That's not pointing to short term rentals and saying you're the problem. That's, that's the wrong scapegoat. Correct. 100% correct. I mean, you nailed it. It's, it is truly a supply demand issue. And we're not even a drop in the bucket in the industry. And a lot of these homes are not going to be utilized for workforce housing. And so it's, it's a much more complex problem that needs to be addressed. And I get it's well-intended, but it, it, you have to look at the data and have to actually solve this problem. It's far, solve the right problem, mm -hmm. imposing this. Because again, being, I hate to say, feel singled out, but it's like, there are second homes that aren't being used. Yep. And people who use visit, that's occupying inventory too. And it's like, yep. but there doesn't seem to be the same scrutiny on that. <laughs> and, you know, people are scared of what they don't understand, right? Right, Lucas. So one of the things that cracks me up whenever I see this is like tragedy happens at Airbnb. Party happens at Airbnb. It's like, okay, so how many long-term rentals last night was there a tragedy that happened, but that's not part of the title? Like tragedy at long-term rental. 
uh, party at long-term rental, shooting at long-term rental. No, it's just at a residence, right? But when it's an Airbnb, that makes it into the title. Why? Because people just don't quite understand it. They're not, it's still such a new thing. And again, I feel like people always want one group or one person to blame. And they don't want to say that it's new construction because, well, we need new construction. We need to be able to keep that around. Whereas Airbnb, oh, we don't need that. So maybe that'll solve the problem. But when you look at the numbers, that's not the case. So I guess, you know, I, we're, we're kind of both on a soapbox here. I guess the bigger question is, what do we as an industry do in preparation for these things? If I'm in, you know, let's call it Salt Lake City, that's close to you. Not a lot of regulations over there. I've got a student that's built up a giant portfolio over there. What kind of things in a place that doesn't have a lot of regu regulations, knowing where the trend of this business and this industry is going, what should they be doing to maybe get out in front of it? It's not a spectator sport. I mean, it, yeah. it's, it's an investment. It should be part of your business strategy. You get involved, get involved early. Even like you said, before regulations and when there's regulations, yeah. we need to have our voice. Uh, and, you know, it's kind of one of those, it's really easy to sit on the sidelines and, and, and not participate. But guess what? It's, it's everyone's livelihood. And this is an industry that, you know, deserves to, to play on a big stage. You can see it. The market has spoken. People love this as an option, as an alternative to hotels. And so, Getting involved with the local associations, the local coalitions, yeah. a big part of it. Rallying support of other kind of tangent elements that are impacted. The local realtor associations, you know, with these kind of restrictions, impair home values if they, if they can't sell and transfer a license. And so leveraging that. Corporate housing is another industry that runs in very similar kind of business model. So you think about that and then the hospitality. You know, it, those industries are, are really important. And we did, a, you know, a study with the University of Colorado, you know, in Summit County about that. Think about the difference of it's a lot of Denver driving traffic. Well, bars, restaurants, people staying overnight instead of day tripping, that impacts their business. They want people staying out there. That's part of the community. So it's not even just directly us. It's getting people involved. And I say, you know, we should be supportive, collaborative and bring data and educate. Because I do believe local, well, most local politicians are well-intended and want to get to the right solution. Mm -hmm. and I think, you know, they have people in their ear in different constituent bases. We need to be represented. And so that's why I say, you know, get involved. It's not a spectator sport and rally the support of others who have a vested interest because this is important. This is complex. And you just don't want, you know, I'd say one segment, yeah. you know, overrepresented or disproportionately steering the discussion into places or the decisions in the wrong direction because they don't understand the full scope of this. Yep. Well, and, and I think the key here is equipping those who are listening with the things to be talking about, right? Like the things that come to mind for me is if you're going to, if you're going to go into these associations, if you're going to go into uh state Senate, if you're going to go into these rooms, right? It's the obvious things, right? It's the, Hey, people will lose jobs, right? We pay out to our contractors our employees and our customer service reps every single month, close to $20,000. And that's amongst about six people, right? And so you're talking about full-time jobs being lost for six different families. That's major. Mm -hmm. um, then on top of that, cleaners who are getting paid for every single cleaning. A lot of our, I don't know about you guys, but you know, a lot of our cleaners were their number one client. Yep. And so when you lose your number one client and you're, and now 10 businesses, 10 cleaning companies lose their number one client. 
they're either going to have to go find new business, which if Airbnbs are gone or drastically dropped in that area, they're going to have a tough time finding new business or they're going to have to start firing people. That's the number one thing to me. What What are some other things that people should be talking about? Well, you're right. It's the economic impact it yeah. is huge. And, and a lot of the uh, local coalitions, associations will commission those kind of studies and they're valuable. You get independent parties to do that. It's not only directly, but then you start to look at the tax base generated for people using, you know, in restaurants, bars, and, and, and eating local because they're there. Yeah. Um, understanding and listening and trying to get to what the problems are. You know, nuisance is often brought up as the concern. Often that's not. It, it's again, as we talked about scapegoating, it's used as a, a vehicle to justify yep. and impose unreasonable, uh, you know, constraints on this. And so it, it, it is a help educate, understand, but it, it's also what are we doing to have workforce? We are having this, this supply, this labor supply issue. Yeah. Um, as you, I mean, that's a much bigger macro issue, but helping how do we find affordable housing? Because you will see it, and I've seen it in different municipalities where. They impose strict STR and then they shoot down. Well, we can't have affordable housing here in this neighborhood with that. Yeah. And you're going, well, you, you just, you know, shot yourself in the foot because you, you could have addressed this problem here by, you know, having solutions on the housing. Right. And, and so it's, it's helped them understand the impact this would really have. And not only to the jobs lost, but the financial impact of building more housing and actually yep. solving the problem rather than pretending to put a bandaid on it when it's a gaping wound. And we, you know, we are not, the, you know, regulating SDRs is not the solution yep. and putting caps on that. Uh, Lucas, I got one more question and I want to go ahead and give you an opportunity to share how people can connect with you. And of course, we're going to keep it in our six figure formula group where we're going live right now to answer some questions, which I'm excited uh, to be able to do for our private members. And for those of you that are not a private member of the Six Finger Formula, go check it out at fearlesskyle.com forward slash 6FF to be able to have access to our guests like Lucas. One other thing that comes to mind for me is the potential of hurting the real estate market if there's too much regulation on this. And I've, I I kind of got in my head where, where I think this might go, but have you thought about that as well? Is that something that you've spoken light over whenever you go into these rooms to talk about you know affordability of real estate? Uh, no question. Uh, nice thing is, is in most places, the Realtor Association is is speaking on their behalf and they they understand that impact because not allowing a home to, to get a license or a transfer materially impacts it. And some markets seen, you know, 15, 20% difference on home value. Yeah. These are already scarce assets. And so you'll probably see less turnover in transactions because if I have a license, guess what? That's worth a lot more. It's mm. kind of like the taxi cab medallions where they restricted supply and all of a sudden people were, you know, people paid obscene amounts yep. for this medallion that gave them the right to be a taxi cab. And yep. so I, I do think, you know, they're actually amplifying some of the other issues because now we won't have inventory, we won't, you know, uh, available and turnover. Uh, so I think it will slow up volume, which does hurt the, the real estate industry. I, I do think these assets holding on with license do become more valuable yeah. uh, in this time where I do think we're in these early stages. I do think you know, we as a group and all the other, you know, individuals who have a vested interest in this will get everyone to the right, you know, place and make thoughtful regulation, but it's going to take some time and we might have a few years of uh, some aches and pains as we go through it. Well, and one of the things I think of, which you just had a really good point on the value of a license. Uh, I also think about, you know, for example, this, this bill that California is trying to pass to increase to 15% for taxes. Well, 
my gut feeling is of the 900 Airbnbs in Fresno, California, and, and you know, keep up with me on these numbers here. We have at any given time in Fresno only about two months worth of inventory for s- properties for sale yep. in Fresno, which comes out to be about 400 to 500 homes for sale at any given point. Well, if 900 Airbnbs are now taxed at 15%, I think about 25% of them might actually say, well, I'm making enough money, I'm going to stay. And then the other 75%, there's going to be a split of some people that say, well, I'll do a long-term rental. And then the other side that says, I don't want to deal with a long-term rental, I'm just going to sell it. Suddenly, about 40%, that's what, 300, 350 more properties put on the market for sale compared to the usual 500, that's a 60, 70% increase in inventory, which means that especially where rates are right now, uh, demand is not going to keep up with that. And so for that reason, yeah. you suddenly have a house that was selling for 400,000 and now people are having to settle for 325, 350. I think it could, I think it could absolutely destroy a, a real estate market. Oh, it could. And just to build on that, because I think you bring up a great point there. It also, what are we doing to those individuals who like consuming this product and see it as a superior alternative? If all of that inventory ends up, you know, washing out, well, guess what? This doesn't become accessible because the, the average nightly rate has to go up because there's not enough supply. Yeah. And, and then imposing that taxes, right? Guess who's going to pay for it? It's the guests and everything gets kind of marked up and it, they're, they're taxing, especially in that California one, which I'm familiar with, they're taxing it almost like it's commercial property. Right. And so I'm, I'm taxing like a commercial property, but I'm not doing that the long term. And I'm not, guess what? I'm not going to let you do. I'm not going to let you sell food or alcohol or do other ways. Yep. Like it's because it's commercial property. So I, I, I say that half a jest, but there is some truth of they're treating that asset like a commercial property and not giving you the ability to really treat it fully like a commercial property. Awesome. Lucas, um, how can people connect with you? Um, how can they learn more about Skyrun? Where can they go? Yeah, skyrun.com is probably the easiest place. Um, I, I'm open book. I'm here to help. So, you know, I'll give out my personal email. It's easy enough. It's, it's Lucas, L-U-K-A-S at skyrun.com. So happy to, you know, if I can be assistance uh, or Skyrun can be of assistance, happy to uh, feel that and support. Yeah. Key there, Luke, Lucas with a K, not a C. So yep. get Spell that right. the weird way. <laughs> <laughs> um, one more question here, Lucas. You said that people need to get involved. It's not a spectator sport. Uh, give me one actionable item. How do I get connected with one of those? Is there a website? Is there something I should Google? What's the number one thing for me to go and start trying to find these places? Yeah. Verma, uh, is, is a great place because they have what other local associations and directories for that. And a lot of municipalities have them. And if they don't guess what, reach out to Verma and they'll help you with getting it started. Uh, And that's VRMA, correct? Yeah. Yep. All right. Lucas, thank you so much for joining us here on the Fearless Investor Podcast and helping our audience conquer the world of short-term rentals. We're going to keep it live here now in the six-figure formula to answer additional questions from our group. Thanks, Lucas. Thank you, Kyle. All right, so show notes as usual. If you're watching on the YouTube channel, right down below. If you are listening on the podcast, then all you have to do is click on the show notes right there. So Lucas, again, you can find him over at Skyrun. Uh, you know, we didn't really get into a deep conversation about Skyrun. We got to learn a little bit more about it, but it is interesting to see that franchise model, which I like a lot more than per se of Acasa or Evolve, where it's really just a large conglomerate company that is going to conglomerate company, I should say, that's going to manage all the properties from afar and remotely. Um, I really like what Lucas uh, said about Skyrun with the actual on the boots, on the ground operators. So that makes it already a little bit more 
uh, intriguing to me. So go check out Skyrun. And uh, for now, we're going to go ahead and call it quits. Thanks for joining us here on the Fearless Investor Podcast. We're helping you to conquer the world of short-term rentals. Hey, Fearless Investor community. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Fearless Investor. If you haven't already, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. And for more free content, check out my YouTube channel, also called The Fearless Investor, and our website, www.fearlesskyle.com. Until next time, keep on conquering the world of short-term rentals.